The Word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. When Paul and Silas had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went to the Jews, and on three Sabbath days he led them in a discussion from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, he also said, This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of God-fearing Greeks and more than a few of the prominent women. But the Jews became jealous and gathered from the marketplace some wicked men who formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house and searched for Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the mob. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have stirred up trouble all over the world have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them as guests. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and the city officials were stirred up when they heard these things. They took a security bond from Jason and the others and then let them go. That same night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. They received the word very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see if these things were so. Many of them believed, along with more than a few prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being proclaimed by Paul in Berea, they also went there to agitate and stir up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul away to the seacoast, but Silas and Timothy stayed there. Those who escorted Paul brought him all the way to Athens. When they left, they received instructions for Silas and Timothy to join Paul as soon as possible. This is the word of the Lord. We pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, especially you, Nick, and Maya. What are you guys thinking about right now? If I had to guess, I would guess that what you're thinking about right now is getting through this service, getting changing out of your dress clothes, especially that nice bow tie, putting on some, some regular clothes, eating lunch, maybe having a little cake. Is there any cake in, the, in store for later on? Okay, a little bit of cake. Wouldn't that be good? That would be my guess as to what you're thinking about right now. But today, for a few minutes anyway, I want to expand your horizon a little bit. I want to th cause you to think beyond today, to think about this fall and high school, and after that, college, and then a career, and then marriage, and then children of your own. I know that all that stuff sounds like it's so far away, but it's not really. It's not. Just ask your parents. They remember sitting right where you are today, and it doesn't seem very long ago for them. Today marks the conclusion of your formal childhood Christian education in the basics of the Christian faith. Where will you go from here? I'm not going to make you memorize portions of Luther's catechism anymore. You won't have to memorize portions of scripture. You won't have to take any more tests or quizzes on what you know. But 
while that may make you breathe a sigh of relief, you may be thinking, finally, I don't have to do any of that memory work anymore. The fact is that life will get more complicated for you when you leave here. And as you walk out those doors today as confirmed communicant Christians, make no mistake about it, the devil has placed a huge target on each of your backs. He is going to be gunning for you now for the rest of your lives. So the question for you to consider and for all of us is where will you go from here? Our text contains that very familiar comparison between the Christians living in Thessalonica and the Christians living in Berea. And the, kind of, the impression you get is that the Bereans were really eager beavers, right? Studying the Word of God. And, and the Thessalonians, if they weren't that, they were somewhat lazy and somewhat complacent. And that reputation really died hard, right? It's, it's really endured throughout the ages, hasn't it? You, you, you can drive almost anywhere in the country and you could find a Berea church, a church named Berea. Have you ever heard of a church called Thessalonica Lutheran Church? I, I never have. Is that reputation that each of these cities, each of these Christian congregations has, is that valid? Is that fair? It's probably not completely accurate. It's probably not completely fair. Because Paul writes in one of his later letters to the Thessalonians, he tells them, when you receive God's word which you heard from us, you did not receive it as the word of men, but as the word of God, as it really is, which is now at work in you who believe. Nick and Maya, is that you? Is that how you receive the word of God that you hear in this church and that you learned in confirmation class? How about the rest of us? Is that how we receive what we receive here through the means of grace? Do we receive it as the word and works of God, or do we just regard it as the word's and works of men. Here's a little test for you. Which do you remember more frequently over the course of the past year? The CDC recommendations to wash your hands regularly with soap and water, or the washing that God himself performed on you at that baptismal fund, washing you free from sin and adopting you as his child? Which of these do you spend more time discussing among your own family and friends. The latest proclamation from the county health department over what you can and can't do and must or must not wear, or the proclamation that you hear from pulpits just like this one. Which do you more seriously regard as irrefutable, undeniable fact? The, the COVID-19 statistics that are splashed on your smartphone and on your TV and on the radio? Or the facts that Jesus himself comes to us here. The fact that God himself is present among us where two or three gather and he comes to us delivering the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation through these means of grace. Do we really regard the things we receive here as the things of God or we just think of them as the things of men? In that sense... The Thessalonians may serve as an admirable example for us, right? They received Paul's message, not as the message of Paul, but as what it was, the Word of God. And Luke tells us, he summarizes that message. He says it contains three main truths. The Christ had to suffer and die for the sins of the world, including your sins and mine. 
The Christ had to rise again three days later to prove our justification, to demonstrate beyond all doubt that everyone who believes in him will rise too. And then Paul brings those, those two great truths together in the third one, especially for these Jewish Christians. He says, you know these things from the Old Testament, that the Christ had to die and rise again, and now I'm here to tell you Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is your Savior. This, those three truths, is the gospel. That is what our foundation, our hope for salvation is built on. Those are the truths, Nick and Maya, that you will be confessing here in just a few minutes. But as admirable as the Thessalonians were for receiving Paul's message as the very word of God, the fact that they were somewhat lazy or for some other reason failed to dive deep into Scripture on their own meant that they were, they were lacking in some areas. They had some significant and dangerous gaps in their faith and their knowledge of Christian doctrine. If you read Paul's later letters to them, First and Second Thessalonians, they, they had a misunderstanding about, about the resurrection of the dead. They didn't completely understand the signs of the end of the world. And because of those two things, Paul even had to tell them, if a man does not work, he shall not eat. He had to tell them, listen, Jesus isn't here yet. You can't just lay on your couch waiting for him to come it's God's will that you would work. He had to teach them work ethic. Can you believe that? Last but not least, they had misunderstandings around sexual intimacy in marriage. And I bring that one up just to hopefully tempt you to read those letters, First and Second Thessalonians, sometime soon. But the point, Nick and Maya, is that if if you're like the Thessalonians and, and you do receive what you received in confirmation class and what you received in your baptism and what you hear from this pulpit and any other pulpit as the Word of God, but that's where it ends, you're putting yourself in grave danger. If you leave here and, and the, the, the basis for your faith is to say, well, that's what Pastor Yankee told me in class or that's what my church believes, I don't know if I really believe. You're, you're really putting yourself in danger. You're, you're, the faith, the faith, will not become your faith. And Jesus told a, a parable about that. He talked about the parable of the soils. And, and if this faith just stays here, if it's a church's faith or your pastor's faith, you're kind of like that, that soil where the seed just sits on top and the birds, that Satan, can come and steal it from you. Or you're... You're like that, that rocky soil that, 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 that stifles the, the growth of faith within your heart. Or you're like the, 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 the soil where the thorns and the worries of life will crowd it out and, and, and kill it. And it puts you in great danger. It makes you vulnerable. It makes you an easy target for the devil and, and for the concerns and the worries of this world. I don't want you to walk out of here saying, well... My faith is, is what the church teaches or what my pastor told me. In fact, I warned you about that in confirmation class, right? I said, don't, don't ever defend what you believe by saying that's what Pastor Yankee told me because at least now I still know where you live. I'll find you and I'll, I'll correct you on that. And Martin Luther warned against that, that very kind of faith. He, he talked about the story of a coal miner. He called it a coal miner's faith. 
And the, the story goes like this. A coal miner was asked, what do you believe? And the coal miner said, well, I believe what my church believes. And he was asked again, well, what does your church believe? And he said, well, my church believes what I believe. You see how circular that is? It's, it's dangerous. Luther even said, God preserve us from such a faith as this. Because that kind of faith is not grounded in anything. It's faith in faith. Whereas faith, in order for it to be genuine, in order for it to grow and become solid, must be rooted in the written word of God, the promises and works of God. That's where faith must be rooted not in what I've told you and, and not even in what you think risen Savior teaches and believes. You must make this faith your faith and you do that by deeply diving into the Word of God on your own. So Nick and Maya, where will you go from here? you think you want to go to Thessalonica? Are you happy with just having a, a basic understanding of Christian doctrine? After this, will you take the, the Bible and the catechism that you received and, and shove them on a shelf somewhere, never to be seen or used again until someday you move out of mom and dad's house? How about the rest of us? For those of you who were at examination last Sunday, that was a pretty eye-opening experience, wasn't it? Probably pretty humbling for many of us. Maybe even humiliating to notice the gaps in our own understanding of Christian doctrine. Even the, the basics of Christian doctrine. Are we happy with that? Are we happy to kind of laugh and say, yeah, I don't, I don't know the Ten Commandments anymore, but, but that's okay. I don't, I don't know the Apostles' Creed or its meaning anymore, but that's okay. I couldn't even list for you the, the books of the Bible in order. But that. Are we happy with that? Are we happy with that shallow kind of faith? Are we happy with the coal miner's faith that said, well, I believe what my pastor says and what my church teaches? Or, or do we yearn for more? Do we want the objective Christian faith as laid out in the catechism to become our personal Christian faith? Where will we all go from here? That's not just a question I'm posing to you this morning, but... I think it's a question that was probably on the Apostle Paul's mind as some jealous Jews stirred up a riot, stirred up a mob, and chased him out of town. Where was he going to go now? Well, even if he didn't know, the Lord did. And the Lord used the wisdom of his friends to lead him to another city in Macedonia called Berea, one of the most famous cities in all of the New Testament. Again, that has echoed throughout the ages. Luke tells us this about the Bereans. He says, the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. How? Why? They received the word very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see if these things were so. Do you see a distinction there? It's not that the Bereans were smarter than the Thessalonians. It's not that Paul brought them a, a different message or that he, he brought it to them in a more eloquent or convincing way. So what's the difference then? If the difference wasn't in the message or the speaker, what's the difference? What they did with that message. The Thessalonians, while they received it eagerly as the word of God, not just the words of Paul, apparently, if it was today, they, they sat in those seats, they listened to Paul preach a sermon, they said amen, they walked out those doors, they went home, and that was it. 
that was all the further their interest in the things of God went. The Bereans, on the other hand, not only eagerly received the word of God, but also examined it to see if these things were so. On their own, at home, they, they, they took Paul's message and they lined it up side by side with the word of God, with the Old Testament, and they said, is this true? And in doing so, in, in, in taking that extra time to compare what they heard with what is written, they were fulfilling God's command, the one he gave through the Apostle John. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. We've talked about that, right, Nick and Maya? Don't believe everything I say just because it's me saying it to you. Test it. Test it against what you see written here in the black and white of Scripture. All of you. Just because I'm shouting, just because I'm the one up here, doesn't mean you have to accept everything I say. Test it. Test it according to the Word of God. Only a false teacher will say, no, don't do that. Just believe me. Test it. That is a divine command. Examine it for yourselves. Make the faith that you are hearing today, the faith that we confess together, make it yours. Make it your faith. Now what types of things do you think the Bereans were examining? What were they testing about Paul's message? Well, it has to be those three basic things that Paul also preached in Thessalonica, right? Christ had to suffer and die for the sins of the world. The Christ had to rise again three days later for our justification. And above all, Jesus is that Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Is there anything more important in the world to be sure of than those things? They concern our salvation. They concern what happens when we die, when we leave this world. Paul said, as we can understand from the rest of his writings, he said, through faith in Jesus, you have freedom from sin, death, and the devil. You will not die, but you will live. On the last day, Jesus will return and he will take you physically to heaven. If those things are not true, then Nick and Maya, I hate to break it to you, we just wasted two years of Wednesdays in confirmation class. If, if those things about Jesus are not true, then we're all wasting our time here and we ought never come back. There should be many better things you could be doing with your time if these truths about Christ are not true. But if they are true, there's nothing more important in the world. There is nothing more important than looking to Jesus for freedom from sin, death, and the devil because it doesn't just concern this life, it concerns all of eternity. In fact, Nick and Maya, these are the truths that I'm going to ask you to swear that they are true in just a few minutes. You're going to swear before God and before this congregation and before your own families that these things about Jesus are true and you are willing to stake your life and your eternity on them. You will swear that you would rather die than give up these truths about Jesus. It's not an exaggeration to say that these truths about Jesus, these facts, are, on, are what your eternities hang on. It doesn't get more important than that. If for that reason alone we had these truths, we had Scripture, that would be enough. That would be enough to force us into the Word to make sure these things are true. But there's also a very practical reason. And it's a reason that's going to become more important for each of you as you get older 
as you go to high school and college and beyond. And the fact is that even though your, your faith was examined last Sunday, that was a, a thorough, comprehensive testing of your faith, that's not the last test your faith is going to face. You're going to be tested each and every day of your lives, and the tests are going to get harder and harder and harder. You're going to be tested by your friends, by your coworkers, by your teachers, by your professors. You're going to be tested by this godless, depraved world in which you are living. How are you going to respond to that? A lot of it depends on where you go from here, to, to Thessalonica or, or to be like the Bereans. Because you're going to face these issues. You're going to face very contemporary issues in your life, issues that, that your families and, and the rest of us know very well. So when the subject of, of the origin of the universe comes up, you could very well say, well, I think I remember my pastor saying something about the Big Bang and evolution all being false uh, and that God created the world. You could say that, but it'd be better for you to be able to say with confidence, Genesis 1-1, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you are standing on a firm foundation, not on the words of a man. You're in your classes and with your friends, you're probably going to discuss, why is the world so evil? Why is it filled with so much violence and racism and sexism and all the other evil-isms out there? And you could very easily get drawn into a debate over nature versus nurture or systemic racism or economic inequality. But it would be very much, it would be better for you to repeat Jesus' words. He tells us where evil comes from. It comes from the heart. Out of the heart come all sorts of evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and everything else that's evil. Jesus tells us it's not a system-wide thing, a nationwide thing, a, a color thing. It is a heart thing, and that evil lives in each and every one of our hearts. You, unlike your parents and your grandparents, are going to have to face every day issues surrounding the letters LGBTQ. You already have, I know that. How are you going to respond? I mean, you could say, well, you know, my church doesn't really support those things. My church forbids those things. It'd be better for you to say, in the beginning, God created man. He created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them, and he didn't give them the, the option to switch whenever they felt like it. It'd be better for you to repeat the words of the Apostle Paul, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of God. It'd be good for you to be rooted, standing firm on that foundation of Scripture, not just saying, well, Pastor Yankee doesn't seem to like LGBTQ individuals and our church doesn't confirm them or accept them into fellowship. You're going to be dating here pretty soon, as much as your parents would like to put that off for another decade or so, but there are going to be a set of temptations that come along with dating. And you could say, well, my parents don't want me to do that. It would be better for you to say what the writer to the Hebrews says, that, that God wants a marriage bed to be kept pure and for husband and wife to love and honor each other. The point is that, that you can have that coal miner's faith and you can say, well, that's what my pastor believes, that's what my parents believe, that's what my grandparents believe, that's what my church believes, but it would be better for you to be able to say after 
studying Scripture for yourself. This is what I believe because this is what God has said. For the rest of us, just a general uh, comment on confirmation. You know as well as I do that the church has been lamenting and really complaining about the loss of young people like Nick and Maya from the church after they graduate or after they're confirmed and after they they leave high school and leave the house. And the the so-called silver bullets, the solutions that have been brought to the table to solve that problem, that crisis, are, are just as countless as the lost young people are, I think. There, there are all sorts of ideas. Uh, start a youth group. Get them engaged in some sort of social services. You know, picking up trash along the highway or serving meals to the poor, something like that. Uh, get them more engaged in, in the actual worship service. Give them participation in that. Uh, help, have them help teach Sunday school classes. And, and in recent years, I, I have no problem with any of those as long as they're, they're used appropriately, but in recent years there's been this focus, this pressure almost, to, to take confirmation class away from being a, a comprehensive study of Christian doctrine and instead to turn it into really a discussion of contemporary cultural issues. So instead of learning the Ten Commandments and the creeds and baptism and Holy Communion and the Lord's Prayer, we're going to talk about LGBTQ or evolution or racism or some other hot-button topic. And I have major issues with that. The first being, I can't possibly guess what Nick and Meyer are going to be facing, what issues they're going to be facing in five years. Just think about it. Five years ago... Did you really think that we would be having an argument over whether biological boys can compete in women's sports and girls' sports? How would that have ever crossed anyone's mind? I graduated from the seminary eight years ago. There wasn't a breath of anything having to do with anything LGBTQ and anything we studied there because it wasn't an issue eight years ago. So I can't guess what you're going to face in five years. I can't teach you those things. More importantly... The, the best and the biblical way to equip young people and anyone to face the modern issues that we face today is not to provide some silver bullet answer because we all know there aren't any silver bullet answers to the, the complex issues we face. Rather, the, the way that God wants us to prepare to face the world out there is to be rooted in the basics of his word. That's, that's a job of the church. It's a job of confirmation class. Not, not to give you all of the answers, but to hopefully give you the eagerness and the aptitude to find the answers for yourselves because you will be better off. You will be better equipped to answer when you're challenged. And, and most importantly, as you study the Scriptures on your own, you will be more firmly rooted in those three saving truths. Christ had to die for your sins. He had to rise again for your salvation. Jesus is that Christ. Now, Nick and Maya, I know you're just thinking about right now, just say amen so we can leave. I can get this bow tie off. We can go have lunch and, and have some cake. I want you to know that, that your families and your grandparents and your brothers and sisters here, Risen Savior, and I, we're all thinking beyond that. We're thinking about where you're going to go from here. Now, you might think I've been setting up sort of a contradiction 
Either you go to Thessalonia or you go to Berea. It's really both. I, I do. You, it's essential that you keep coming back here like the Thessalonians to receive the means of grace and then now the sacrament as the words and works of God and not, not as simply the words and works of a man. But after that, after you leave here, make it your own. Be like the Bereans. Examine the Scriptures for yourselves so that this faith, that you confess, the Christian faith that you confess, you can say is, is my faith. And, and as you do that, as you do that, not only will you grow firmer, but, but you will have the promise, the assurance that the Lord gives us on page after page of Scripture that it doesn't matter where you go in, in this life. Because Jesus is leading you through this life to his Father's home in heaven. That's where you're really going from here.